Wow. I didn't realize how huge of an issue this is for so many people. It's pretty rare that a subject is suggested to me and then I go in to research it and I'm thoroughly surprised. But this one threw me for a loop. And if you happen to be in the 20% of the population that is an only child, I still think you're going to find a lot of really interesting information in this episode because you likely are in a relationship with someone who has siblings. Maybe you're a parent, so you have children who are siblings. It's very likely your own parents were siblings. And the dynamic of sibling relationships impacts all of our relationships and even how we view ourselves. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of The Shalene Show, where we're going to dig into all things siblings. If you're listening to this episode on Monday, April 18th, this week I'm doing a series of free workshops. They're all different, and each one is designed for a different person. It's something I do every year, at least once a year, and these workshops are specifically designed to help you from a financial standpoint. But what I've learned after having done this now for almost... I think this is like my 10th year, is that everyone's in a different place. Like some people already have investments started. Some people are deeply in debt. There are those of you who you've already started a business and you're working full time and you're trying to figure out how to make your business make enough money so you can quit your job. There are those of you who are like, I'd love to have just some side income. I don't know if I really want to be like, quote unquote, a business owner, but it would be fun to make some extra income online. But I got to figure out my whole mindset. And there are some of you who are network marketers. So my point is this, I used to just do a couple of different workshops and address all of these things in each of the workshops. But I've since realized it needs to be very specific to whatever situation you're in. Like wherever you are in the journey, I want to be able to provide a workshop that fits for you. So what I did is I created like four or five different workshops and you can see all of them and pick the one that works best for you. Just go to shaleen.com forward slash workshops. This is free. All you have to do is enter your email address. You just pop your email address in there and you'll see the different times and days of the workshops. If for any reason you can't be on the workshop live, You'll get the rebroadcast. I'll send it to you in an email. But if at all possible, I really strongly encourage you to try to be there live. It makes a big difference regardless of where you are, whether you're a college student or a new mom or a single dad who's got a job and a side business. It doesn't matter. You'll be able to pick the workshop that is perfectly suited for where you are in the journey. I think you know from listening to The Shaleen Show, I'm a straight shooter This is not the thing you need to listen to to get motivation, but if you want to know the steps, like if you're like, okay, well, just can you tell me what I need to do next? These workshops are for you. So again, it's shaleen.com forward slash workshops, and that link is in our show notes, or you can just, while you're listening to the episode, you can open up your browser, the podcast will keep playing, and you can just drop your email address in, and you'll be all set, and we'll hang out later this week. Oh, one more super exciting thing I wanted to tell you before we get into the sibling content. So I talked about this new flavor that was coming out in terms of a sleep gummy with Soul CBD, and then I had to stop talking about it because they produced the product, and when they went to Triple Lab test it, which P.S. very, very few companies do, but when they went to Triple Lab test it, they were not pleased with one of the ingredient levels. So this is why I love a company like this. They had sent those products to me. I'm like, they taste amazing, and they're giving me great results. They were like, well... It's very close. The average person wouldn't even be able to tell, but they don't meet our standards. So we're going to go back to our manufacturers and we're going to make them get it right. 
that spoke volumes to me. But the good news is this latest batch just came back from triple lab testing, and not only does it meet their expectations, it exceeds them. So I'm very excited to be able to tell you that, yes, now you can try the latest flavor of their Sleepy Gummy. It's called Chamomile Honey. Now, let me just tell you, I freaking love it. It tastes like kind of a bedtime tea, but I love the taste of chamomile and I love the taste of like a chamomile honey tea. Brett does not. He tasted the chamomile honey. He's like, no, this is not for me. I don't like it. He loves the blueberry lemon flavor. So, you know, not every flavor is for every person. And I think it's also really important to say that CBD doesn't work for everyone or for every ailment. There are some people that get incredible results. It helps to relieve their anxiety. They can't get through a day without it. There are people who it helps them with their headaches. I know people who take CBD products to help them with joint pain. People like myself who swear by combining the CBD, the CBN, and the melatonin for sleep, game freaking changer. We also give CBD to our pets. I just want to be very transparent when I talk about the benefits of CBD because I've heard other people overhype and oversell CBD like it's going to fix everybody's problems, every problem you could possibly have. And the fact of the matter is it is a natural remedy. So if you are experiencing some kind of pain dysfunction that is related to your central nervous system, which most things are, why wouldn't you try a natural remedy first? It's really important that you go with a company that has integrity and actually triple lab test their products. That is why I recommend you get 15% off when you go to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. That'll give you 15% off all of their products. Check out their pet products. They've got droppers of oil that you can put on your dog's pet food. You can put droppers under your tongue if you don't want to do gummies. They've got capsules, you name it, and you get 15% off just for being a Shaleen Show listener. Go to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. Okay, let's talk siblings. Before I go much further, I just want to say this. As you're listening, hopefully you're going to get a lot of answers to your questions. But if there's something specific you want to ask me, I'm considering doing a follow-up episode on Wednesday. I haven't decided. I have another topic I had scheduled for Wednesday, but I just feel like there's so much to cover here and that this impacts so many of us that we may do a follow-up episode on Wednesday, but I'm going to let you decide that, okay? So you just tell me in the pod squad if you're like, oh, I've got so many questions. And if you want to record your question for me, or if you want to just type it out, you can. I'm going to put a link where you can record me a voicemail message. And I'm also going to put the phone number where you can text me your question about siblings after you listen to this episode. The first thing I discovered is that there's actually very little written about sibling conflict. I did find some pretty decent research on where a lot of the sibling conflict stems from, which is kind of interesting. And I found a lot of books that talked about how to deal with grieving the fact that maybe you've been cut off by your family or that you've had to cut off your family. But there weren't a lot of books that just explained how to be a sibling and what you should expect And what is a good sibling relationship? And before you get to that place where you've got to cut somebody off or they've cut you out, what about just improving your sibling relationships? There are very few books on this topic. I will reference them in place links as always in our show notes. Perhaps one of the most reassuring things I think I can tell you is that a healthy, strong, very connected, loyal sibling relationship is rare which means if that's not how you would describe one or more of your sibling relationships, 
That's the norm. In fact, one research study out of Oakland University in Michigan found that fewer than 24% of people would describe their relationship with their siblings as healthy. And more than a third of respondents described their relationship with at least one sibling as openly hostile. Okay, so for me, I just want to put this in perspective. When you think about a sibling, your sibling is someone who you have an accidental or coincidental bond with. It's almost like an arranged marriage. You don't pick your siblings. And yes, if they are related to you by blood, there's that connection of DNA, but that doesn't necessarily mean these are the people who you would naturally have a lifelong friendship with. In fact, in most instances, even though we share DNA, oftentimes our siblings are almost the exact opposite of us. One of the books I referenced last Friday was the Birth Order book. I believe the author's name is Kevin Lemon. I don't know. We'll put it in the show notes. In that book, he describes the typical first child and how they are parented very differently than the middle child and how that affects their personality and that these are typically the leaders, the people who are perfectionist, the ones who make lists. They're the type A's. Then there's the middle child. Now, of course, these are all very much generalities and there are always several other factors that can influence how your personality develops. Like, so for example, there's the oldest child and then there's the oldest of a particular sex. So there's the oldest son. They might have traits of an oldest child because they're the oldest son. The oldest child is often parented differently than the middle child or the second child. The second child or the middle child is often a people pleaser. They tend to be the exact opposite of the child that was born just above them. They tend to be more rebellious. They are more focused on their friendships than they are family. He describes them as typically having larger social circles and that the middle child in most instances, they're the the toughest one to pin down. There's the most variability with the middle children, but the middle child often is trying to figure out who they are to make their mark because there's the oldest and then there's youngest and then what's in between isn't always as easily defined. And then there's the youngest. The youngest children tend to be center of attention. They are often described as being more manipulative, very outgoing, love attention, a little more self-centered, fun-loving. Oftentimes they are the least likely to be disciplined. And some of the disadvantages of being a younger child is is that mom and dad are tired by then. They're a little softer and they tend to do more for the younger child and almost baby the younger child. So the younger child then believes this, well, other people are supposed to take care of me because they were sent the messaging most of their lives that that they couldn't do it because somebody was always doing it for them. The book breaks down all the different nuances. Like what if it's a middle child that actually takes on the role of being the oldest and What if the oldest child ends up taking care of the youngest child? And what if there's a boy and a girl? Like the book definitely breaks down all the other variables. So it's it's a very interesting read. But what's very fascinating about reading the birth order book and then going into this sibling research for this episode is to discover how our birth order has an impact on the type of people that we get along best with, which got me thinking about the way we romanticize our sibling relationships. I remember my dad breaking up fights between my sister and I. We were three and a half years apart. I mean, we are three and a half years apart. And him saying to us, 
you're going to have friends come and go out of your life, but your sister is going to be your friend forever. Your brother is someone who will be there when you need him. Your siblings are your best friends for life. Walk into any home goods store and you'll see signs that say family first. And if your adult relationship with your siblings doesn't match this romanticized Hallmark card version of what it's like to have a brother or sister, you can feel guilt and shame. And you think like, what's wrong with me? Why is this relationship so hard? Why can't we get along? Why can't I change them? Why don't they just see that my way is the only way and they need to change? Why are they so toxic? Why are they so selfish? Why don't we have that relationship? And so it can do a real number on you. You start to think, maybe there's something wrong with me that I don't have this relationship. Now, I just have to say, I'm very fortunate to have a close relationship with my sister and a good relationship with my brother. My brother is eight and a half years younger than me. So that has had an impact on our closeness. We didn't grow up with the same friends. We weren't in school together. When he was 10, I was moving out of the house. But I'm really fortunate to say I like him. I like him so much. And I like his wife and I like his family and I I like spending time with them and we enjoy each other and I wish we lived closer to each other. So I hope he sees our relationship as being a good relationship and one that we certainly have the potential to be closer. We could definitely be closer if we lived closer to each other, if our kids were the same age. But should I feel bad or should he feel bad that we don't regularly vacation together? I don't think so. If there's anything you take away from this episode, I hope it's that you put a lot less pressure on yourself to force a relationship or to think that your relationship with your siblings needs to be perfect or even that you you should be close and that if you're not, there's nothing wrong with you. That's the norm. The more research I did this week, the more I realized how unbelievably rare it is to have a strong relationship with a sibling because there's so many odds stacked against you. Starting with your parents and your birth order. Dr. Karen Gale Lewis has written several books on this topic, and she describes the 10 most common causes of sibling conflict, the first of which is parental favoritism. And this happens when parents, maybe unknowingly, they give one child more attention than another. It might be because that child has special needs or they are more demanding. They have a different personality. They are higher strung. Maybe they're getting more attention because they're, quote, perfect or they they meet the parent's emotional needs. Or maybe this child gets more attention because of the way they look or their special talents or because they're the youngest. For any number of reasons, parents do this and it creates an unmet need and a belief about yourself. It creates that in both children, the child who is favored is sometimes feels this disadvantage. They feel like they had all this pressure to be perfect or they had all this attention or pressure on them so they could never fully develop into their own independent thinker. While the one who had less attention feels that there was favoritism, that things were harder for them, that they didn't get the attention that they needed, that they were on their own, that they weren't special, that they weren't enough. Another common cause of sibling conflict is when the siblings are recreating, whether they realize it or not, 
the relationship that they saw their parents having, right? So your parents, there's one who was probably more dominant and in control and one who was more submissive. And and oftentimes the role of siblings, you know, what are you doing as a kid? You're being modeled behavior by your parents. And what do children do? They emulate the behaviors and the way to respond in certain situations that they're seeing role model to them for the first 18 years of their lives. So it's not uncommon for one sibling to be more aggressive and one to be more passive. And then we say things like, well, you know, you're more like dad or she's more like my mom. And is that a DNA thing or is that the result of modeling behaviors? Another root cause of sibling conflict is when one member of the family, sometimes a parent, but it can also sometimes be another sibling, becomes the switchboard operator. They're almost like the town gossip, like they're the hub for family communication. And this person can then interfere with problem solving. They sometimes stir the pot or this person, again, it's often a parent, doesn't allow the siblings to resolve conflict directly. This person plays the intermediary. And so they'll say, well, this is what she feels And here's what he's saying, and here's what he means. And so the siblings never learn to resolve conflict directly. The number four common cause of adult sibling conflict is generational, which means, as she explains, when parents have their own perceived expectations or experiences when it comes to siblings, right? So maybe your mom and her sister fought like crazy, or your dad had a very contentious relationship with his his older brother. Like he was jealous of his older brother because he was better looking and his mom and dad favored him. So then you start to see these same relationships being projected on their own kids and their sibling relationships. In other words, parents sometimes tell their children what their relationships are like. Oh, you know, he's so jealous of his older brother because they're projecting their own experience onto their kids. What do we do as kids? We live up to our parents' expectations or we stoop to the depths of them if their expectations are low for us, which leads me to the number five most common reason for adult sibling conflict. And that is because we were given labels when we were children, when we were young siblings. Our parents had expectations of us And our behaviors and our interests were either praised or dismissed based on the role that we were given. You were the quiet one. You were the shy one. You were the outgoing comedian. You were the smart one. You were the athletic one. You were the dumb one. You were the chubby one. You were the smart one. You were the skinny one. You were the loner. You were the dork. When we're given those roles as children, we often grow up and grow out of those. I mean, you're not the same person you were when you were a child. And outside of your family, you probably operate in a very different way. You don't maintain or live up to those roles in your life today. But as adult siblings, it's so hard for us to not see and actually even say and repeat those same labels that our parents gave us. So even if you're a very different person than you were when you and your sister shared a bedroom and you were eight and she was 10, the way that we relate to each other is still very much determined by those early childhood sibling labels. The number six reason why adult siblings have conflict is because they were raised in an environment where there's a lot of dysfunction. And like, again, I'm not trying to like blame this all on our parents, but 
you know, we're talking about people who you've been forced to be connected with because of your parents, because you share DNA. And if you were raised in an environment where one or both parents were physically, verbally, sexually, and or emotionally abusive to each other or towards their own children, then what happens is as siblings, you don't turn towards each other. You often will turn away so that you can survive and you find your own way to survive and make sense of abusive, dysfunctional childhoods that don't often lead to a closeness that you might hope would be there as an adult. In fact, it's often the opposite. You are not broken and there's nothing unusual about you if your relationship with your siblings isn't a close one. And especially so if you grew up in a household where there was divorce, abuse, chaos, or trauma which is her number seven reason why adult siblings often have conflict is because when you grow up in dysfunction, children have to find their own ways to survive. And rather than turning to each other for mutual support and nurturing, they often learn from a very young age that family isn't safe. Family means pain. Family means conflict. And family means chaos. The number eight reason is when an adult sibling feels abandoned by another sibling. And this is often because they've moved away or they just distance themselves from the sibling or maybe from the whole family. And one sibling can often take this abandonment very personally and they can feel very discarded and very rejected. And this is more common when we're talking about a sibling who didn't have a strong attachment to mom and dad. And so there's a sense of abandonment from mom and dad on some level or mom and or dad. And that abandonment issue is a continual theme. They did not get their needs met usually by a parent. And now a sibling and perhaps other friends and all relationships now feel like they're dealing with issues of abandonment. The number nine reason is comparison. And this is adult comparison. This is when we have a sibling, there's something about them, something about the life that they're living, maybe the way that they look, maybe that they're thinner or taller or have a an intact relationship or one sibling is struggling with fertility while the other one has, you know, six kids running around. And when this happens, even though in any other situation, the sibling, if they have friends who have these things, they have friends who are wealthier or friends who are thinner, who have more kids, all the things that they want, it's no big deal. But because your relationship, the basis of your relationship, it was natural to have this comparison. I mean, that's what people do. Oh, you don't look anything like your brother. Oh, that's your sister. She's taller. There's always a natural comparison. The first 18 years of your life with a sibling are about comparison. Even if it's not just your parents, society compares you, your friends compare you, other relatives compare you. There's always comparison. So when we look at our siblings and they have something that we long for or something that we wish we had on a subconscious level, we don't even realize it's jealousy, but on a subconscious level, what they have or who they are or what they look like subconsciously makes us feel like we aren't enough. Subconsciously, they put a mirror in front of us and remind us that something's missing or that we long for something or that we aren't enough. And our siblings can trigger us in a way that we don't even realize and in a way that no one else triggers us. 
And the number 10 reason why adult siblings have strife is as a result of mental illness and neurological conditions. And when I say neurological conditions like bipolar disorder or borderline personality disorder, depression, anxiety, ADHD, all of these things, any mental health condition can impact relationships. And now we're talking about a relationship that's already tenuous from the beginning. This isn't a friend that we personally selected and invested our and decided we have so much in common. I really like this person. I really want to spend time with them. I really want to get to know them. We were, by coincidence, connected from birth. And when you think about the reasons why sibling relationships were so romanticized, it makes sense when you think about what the nuclear family used to look like, right? Families used to be extended. Everyone lived in the same house. Everyone worked on the farm. Everyone labored together to survive. Siblings would get married and stay in the same home. But today, things are so different. This sounds horrible, but we don't really need each other. So if there isn't a need, we don't need to rely on each other. And in large part because of social media, we can make intentional connections and develop relationships with people of our own choosing. You can see how the sibling relationship has become less and less of a necessity, if that makes sense. And sibling relationships are never one continuous closeness. Even of those people in the studies who did report having a strong connected relationship with siblings, they all explained that they go through these waves, right? Waves, you can't see my hands right now, but I'm waving my hands together in and out, in and out. And there are times almost like if you picture the shape of a, an hourglass, there are seasons where you become close and there are seasons where you drift apart. And that's normal and natural. We have to stop beating ourselves up and putting so much pressure and shame around what is a very natural process, even if you do have a, a somewhat connected relationship with your siblings, just based on proximity, age, the season of life that you're going through, your romantic relationships, the challenges you're having with your own nuclear family. I mean, for many of us, that becomes the ultimate priority is taking care of your spouse and your own children. That's going to take a priority over everything else. And we have so much less time today in our lives to connect with family because we've prioritized things like digital devices. There has been a drastic decline of sibling closeness due to technology. I mean, if you're over 30, you remember growing up with your siblings, they were your playmates. You were forced to hang out with them. Mom and dad sent you probably outside and they were your built-in playmates. Today's siblings don't have that closeness because their playmates are digital devices, like from age two. I went and got my hair done the other day at the salon and this lady walked in with her probably three-year-old daughter and I thought to myself, her babysitter must have, have canceled. And I thought to myself how I could have never, when my kids were little, I could never have imagined trying to bring them into a salon. But my kids at that age, like when they were three, we just didn't have digital devices like that. And I'm not judging. This woman was able to sit for three hours getting her hair done, and the, I forgot the little girl was there. She sat with an iPad quietly on her lap, just the sweetest, cutest thing you've ever seen, and never looked up, never had a conversation, never made a peep. One of the hardest parts about navigating motherhood when my kids were young was you know, the fighting and the 
the arguments and and I would make them figure it out. I mean, unless I could see blood or hear one of them screaming, I let them figure it out. And they had to resolve conflict between the two of them. But I have to imagine that if digital devices were a solution, and I'm thinking about how like stressed I was back then trying to build a business, working from home and and being home with the kids, I'm sure I would have used digital devices to keep them quiet, keep them separated. It'll be interesting to see what impact that has on the lack of closeness in sibling relationships that are being raised in this era that we're living in where by age three, they are accustomed to just turning to a digital device for companionship and entertainment. And there are many psychologists and psychiatrists who hypothesize that our relationships with our siblings don't just impact our family dynamic, they impact our romantic relationships and our friendships. In other words, like if you were maybe the protector in your sibling relationship, or maybe you were the follower, maybe you were the younger sibling who followed your older sibling's lead, well, then apparently it's not uncommon for us to recreate these relationships in our relationships outside of our family. In other words, we will look for a spouse where it's like, well, I'm used to calling the shots. I'm used to being the sibling who is the protector. So I'm going to get into a relationship where I can continue with that role. Or maybe it's in your friendships. Maybe you felt abandoned by your siblings or your family members. And so those beliefs and preconceived notions and the behaviors that support those beliefs carry over into your friendships. And therefore, you create relationships where your expectation is abandonment. It's very complicated the way in which our early childhood relationships impact the rest of our lives. It's crazy to think about that and to think that there's no one that really teaches us how to be siblings. It's odd to me that this one relationship that society has romanticized as being this thing that's going to be there for you for the rest of your lives, that you you can count on your family from now into eternity. But yet you don't hear about sibling retreats. You don't hear about people going to sibling counseling. People do marriage counseling. There's thousands and thousands of marriage retreats and marriage books, but no one really talks about how to be a sibling and how to improve your sibling relationship. More often than not, you just hear about like this person either has a great relationship with their sibling or they're estranged. They don't talk anymore. And then that's something we don't talk about. When you bump into someone, and you happen to know that they have a brother or sister, you say to them, well, how's your brother? How's your sister doing? Or if someone asks you that question, how do you respond? If you're not talking or if you haven't talked in a while, it doesn't matter. Your response is usually something along the lines of, they're doing great. And then you change the subject. It's too complicated to get into. And we also have this certain level of shame, I guess, if things aren't going well. We rarely explain the uncomfortable nuances of our history. Because if things aren't going well with a sibling, what does that say about you? It's just something that isn't talked about. So you suffer or grieve in some cases alone. It's that ambiguous grief. 
where the relationship has changed, the person is still alive, but you grieve what you once had, or maybe you're grieving what you never had. And it's it's really important that we give ourselves grace because, again, this is something that people just don't talk about. It's not something that you learn. I mean, did your parents explain to you or has anyone ever explained to you how to express your expectations to a sibling, what it is you want from them, what it is you need from them, what it is you expect from them, or or even healthy boundaries. No one talks about how to resolve sibling conflict. Now, granted, there's a million podcasts and books that will teach you how to walk away from a sibling. And sometimes that's important. Sometimes the relationship is so contentious, is so unhealthy, and despite your best efforts to navigate it, despite you fumbling through and trying to make the best of it, trying to heal things, trying to make things better, it's just, there's no other way to describe it other than being really toxic for both of you. Without question, there are individuals who are abusive, manipulative, with truly narcissistic personality disorders, You might have a family member who has said such painful and hurtful and actually dangerous things to you or a family member or your children such that you have no choice but to protect your family and to protect your own well-being and to cut them out of your life. You're not obligated to stay in contact or to allow somebody access to abuse you or to, to subject you to that kind of treatment simply because of DNA. Now, I'm not a fan, as you probably know, of calling one person toxic, but that's not to say that there aren't certain people out there who are toxic. But I think more often than not, we call people toxic because it makes us feel better when the truth of the matter is that person might be perfectly healthy for someone else, but when the two of you come together, the mix is toxic. In most of our relationships, when there's conflict, we want to grow from it. We want to move forward. We want to be better. We want to look towards the future and make amends. We want to patch things up. In her book, Dr. Jean Safer, the book is entitled Cain's Legacy, Liberating Siblings from a Lifetime of Rage, Shame, Secrecy, and Regret. In her book, she talks about this very unique dynamic that happens between siblings, where as adults, our relationships get stuck in this place where we're constantly going over past grievances. Not only are we scorekeeping, but we're constantly reminding our siblings and reminding ourselves of things our siblings have done in the past without the ability to just let it go. The relationship gets stuck in this place where it just never gets better. And both parties continually engage in the same disagreements, the same hurts, the same misunderstandings, and constantly trying to make an effort to get the other party to change or to see that they're wrong and that we're right. It's a level of immaturity that we don't have in any other relationships except in the relationships with our siblings. It's like we're kids again. I'm kind of laughing to myself because I'm thinking about I just had dinner tonight with a lovely 74-year-old woman who clearly is distraught over the loss of relationship with her her older sister, who's just a couple years older than her. 
It's just the two of them. But this year, they've completely cut each other off. It's done. It's over. And they're at a stage in their lives where either one of them could wake up tomorrow and and learn the horrific news that their sister has passed away. But for whatever reason, neither of them are willing to put it behind them, to apologize, and to just move forward. They both repeatedly go over their past grievances. Both of them are unwilling to just say, I love you, I miss you, I accept you as you are, and let's just move forward. Each of them want to be right. Each of them want the other sister to say, I was wrong, and you were right, and that's never going to happen. So they're never going to get back together, unless, of course, one of them comes to their senses and realizes, I can either try to change this person, or I can forgive them, accept them, and just move forward. But today, they are estranged. And maybe you're estranged from one or more of your siblings. Maybe you're estranged from your whole family. Estrangement is defined as it's a process. It's a process in which one family member intentionally decides to distance themselves from another family member or maybe the family as a whole due to an ongoing perceived negative or harmful situation. And estrangement can result in some of the most painful grief. I did an episode a couple of weeks ago about ambiguous grief. And estrangement creates ambiguous grief. The person is, is still alive, but the relationship is dead. And so you're grieving what once was. You're grieving what maybe never was. You're grieving what you had hoped for. You're grieving for the person that you once loved or, or maybe the idea of this relationship. And estrangement is even more painful when you are the person who's been cut off from everyone else and you don't know why. When our brains lack information, what does it do? It fills in the gaps with negative. That's just, it's a natural human response. If I don't know why I've been cut off from this person, our brains naturally assume the worst and we often assume the worst of ourselves. Did I do something wrong? Did I do something to hurt this person? Did I do something to wrong their family? Is there something about me that isn't lovable, that isn't enough? Is it me? And sometimes there is an event. Sometimes we know what the event is. But sometimes we don't know what the event is. Or maybe we do know what their reasoning is, but it doesn't match up with our own interpretation of the event. Sometimes we become estranged because we just have different value systems. You know, there's a physical proximity issue, like one person moves further away and we start speaking a little less and then a little less and then a little less. And then maybe one partner is hurt by the unspoken or unfulfilled expectations that they have. And these things never get talked about. And we're expecting the other party to read our minds. And then before we know it, time becomes the problem. And now so much time has passed that we begin to resent the other party for not reaching out. Yet we haven't reached out either. In all other important relationships, we understand how important it is to communicate, to listen, to apologize, to try to improve 
who we were to move forward, to let go of the past. But for whatever reason, when it comes to our siblings, our emotional intelligence just goes out the window. And then what complicates matters even further is when there's a difference in our financial situations or our religious or political beliefs. (laughs) Talk about family strife and strife between siblings, COVID and politics introduced so many new conflicts between siblings. I mean, in preparation for this episode, I heard from so many of you who experienced a falling out with your siblings over their vaccination status. Literally, brothers and sisters who aren't speaking anymore because they don't agree with each other's decision around vaccinations. Yet these same people have close friends who they don't necessarily know their political views or vaccination status. But for whatever reason, we hold our family members to a different standard. Never will you repair a relationship with your sibling if you do not accept or at least respect that they may have different religious, political or lifestyle choices from your own. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but if you're unwilling to respect their freedom of choice, then you have to be okay with your decision not to have a relationship. And that doesn't make you a bad person. This is your life. This is your choice. As rewarding and fulfilling as all relationships can be, as I think all difficult relationships can be incredibly fulfilling if the foundation is there, if there's the opportunity for growth. If there's no opportunity for growth, I have to say, I don't know how fulfilling and rewarding relationships can be. But I personally believe challenges in relationships can make relationships even more beautiful, more rewarding, more profound. But that's not to say all sibling relationships have that potential. There are some sibling relationships that, frankly, you have to be okay to walk away in some instances or in other instances, just be accepting of the fact that it's never going to be a close relationship. And that's okay. I mean, think about it. Who says it's supposed to be a close relationship? especially when it's someone who does not share your values, your lifestyle choices, someone who, other than the fact that you grew up together, you have nothing in common with them. Maybe you don't even like them and maybe feel guilty even admitting that. But geez, if you don't like someone, if you don't think that they're a good person, if the way that they parent, if everything about them drives you freaking nuts, if this isn't someone who If you met them today by chance and you thought to yourself, I can't stand this person, I can't stand their spouse, there's nothing about them I like, why would you force a relationship? Because society has told you you're a bad person if you don't? That's crazy. Now listen, I'm all for being polite, being courteous, and especially when our parents are still alive. Being a parent with kids... I have to admit, there's nothing that makes me happier. Oh, it makes me so happy when I see my own kids getting along. But I'm constantly reminding myself that I can't force their relationship. I can't make them do 
and I'm not going to. I'm not even going to try. I'm not going to put guilt or pressure around them to maintain a friendship. They have one now, but I also know it's going to ebb and flow as all healthy sibling relationships do. And they have a healthy sibling relationship, at least at the moment. But it won't make me love either one of them any less if and when they grow apart. They will grow apart at some point. They will. And hopefully they'll come back together. Hopefully. But there's no guarantee. And all of this stuff gets so much more complicated once we start having children. And then we we have to look at the way our siblings are parenting and the decisions that they're making with their own kids. And it's so hard to stay out of it and to mind our own business and not to say anything. And it becomes even more complicated when our siblings take on a partner. Think about the friends that you hang out with. Remember that girlfriend from college who married that guy that you absolutely couldn't stand and then you stopped hanging out? Well, the partners that our siblings choose can really complicate things. So here we are. Gosh, I'm at, oh my gosh, we're already 45 minutes into this. I feel like we could talk about this for another two or three hours. I haven't offered you many solutions like what do you do if there is conflict? How do you heal pain and strife if you do want to build a relationship together? Well, first of all, I'm not the expert. And there are a few experts who this is what they specialize in, bringing siblings back together. My intentions in creating this episode were to help you to understand that you are so freaking normal if you have a relatively disconnected relationship with your sibling. It doesn't say anything bad about you. You are perfectly entitled to to walk away from a sibling who, frankly, you weren't good for each other. You are also perfectly entitled to to tolerate a sibling and to not want to invest a ton of time into getting to know them better and spending more time with them, even if they do want to. This is your life. The relationship you have with your siblings may, in fact, be very complicated, but it doesn't have to be. We don't choose our siblings, but we do get to choose how we respond to them, how we relate to them how much energy we give to them, and we do get to choose how we allow others to treat us. There's so much more to unpack. I would love to take Wednesday to answer your specific questions, give you my advice. That's all it would be. It's just just my opinion, certainly not an expert here. And you could ask me questions on how I would handle your situation with your sibling. We can talk about what to do if you are estranged and you want to heal the relationship. We could talk about the process of separating yourself from a sibling who you're just not good for each other and what that looks like. I'm going to make that decision yours. I've got alternative topics we can cover on Wednesday as well. In fact, I've already recorded an episode for Wednesday, but I do feel like there's still so much more to unpack as it relates to siblings. So do me a favor. Jump inside the pod squad. That's my private Facebook group where we talk about things on the show. Share your opinion with me there. You can ask your questions if that's what you'd like for me to do on Wednesday or if there's, if you'd like for me to move on from this topic, we can do that too. The show is yours. You're my co-producer. I love you. I mean it. And hopefully I'll see you on one of my workshops this week. Don't forget, it's shaleen.com forward slash workshops. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. 
If you enjoyed this show, please don't forget to make sure you are subscribed and following along. The Shaleen Show is available on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and most every podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star review and tell us specifically what you enjoyed. We'd love to know. The Shaleen Show is released every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. For Tuesdays and Thursdays, be sure to follow and subscribe to Shaleen's other podcast, Build Your Tribe, which she co-hosts with her son, Brock Johnson. It's all about business, social media, and marketing, and devoted to helping you make more money and live more life. Links to anything referenced in today's episode, as well as show sponsors and other podcasts, can be found below in our show notes.